My stuff. All right. Um, now let's see. Let me unmute you here, Simon. We can see you at first, but um, okay. Can you can you hear me now? Yes, I can. Okay. Very very good. Okay, we got you on the screen. Now your camera was good. You're on at first, but it's off now. It's it's up to you whether you want to use camera or not. I don't really. Uh, it doesn't really uh, bother me. Um, but uh, how you been doing? Yeah, I'm. Uh, I've been doing well, thanks. And and you? Uh, well, you know, I've had a, um, I'm doing good, all things considered, um, you know, some turmoil in my life, I guess you could say, um, that I was talking about a little bit at the top of the show, um, but, uh, you know, I'm still here, and, uh, I'm talking to a wonderful guest like you, and I'm doing what I love to do for a living, so, um, you know, all things considered, um, I think I'm doing pretty good, so, um, I thank you for asking that, though, and, um, just what's yeah, yeah. Well, first off, for those who don't know who you are, you've been on the show several times. Um, but why don't you introduce yourself a little bit to the audience uh, for some of the people who may not know you and talk about the Sudlanders. I think I said it right. I'm trying to get better at that. Um, talk about your organization a little bit and, and uh, introduce yourself. Well, Simon Roche, R-O-C-H-E. It's a... French uh, surname, it means uh, rock. Uh, nothing interesting about that. I'm a fourth, fifth generation uh, South African of Irish uh, descent, and I represent an organization called Saitlanders, and it means Southlanders or Southerners, if you like. And we are a civil defense organization. I'm a full-time employee. I'm not the founder or the leader or anything like that. Uh, I work for a boss who's our founder and leader, Mr. Gustav Miller, and our organization is devoted to the protection of our people in the event of nationwide anarchy or civil war. So that is to say that under the Geneva Conventions, which govern these things, you know, they're the international conventions that kind of protect uh, civilians and, and peoples and folks in um, circumstances of conflict, uh, you are allowed to prepare for an anticipated crisis involving your people. So, in other words, something based on racial grounds. If you were a Tutsi in Rwanda in 1994 and you had good foresight, you might have founded an organization like ours. You might have said, well, you know, these... Um, these other guys here are not saying nice things about us, and we're afraid that they're going to, you know, commit a Rwandan genocide for a hundred days and 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 panga eight hundred thousand of us to death. So we're going to prepare for that in anticipation of that in a legal, lawful, decent, respectable manner. So no atom bombs, no uh, nuclear submarines, no uh, explosives and dynamite and all sorts of illegal things. But there are other things that you can do, <clears throat> such as forming small groups of like-minded people, such as um, obtaining lawful small arms under the, under the laws of the day, uh, preparing food and shelter and getaway routes and um, safe havens and that sort of thing. So that's, that's what St. Launders is all about. We're a <clears throat> the largest organization of its sort in the world. We have about 150,000 members, something like that. 
Um, and we're all white people who, in terms of the Geneva Conventions, the Geneva Conventions, I should just point this out, refer to identifiable ethnic groups. So if you were Jew in Warsaw in 1939, if you were Rwandan Tutsi, if you were a Croat in Bosnia, just before the, the breakup of, uh, of Yugoslavia, or if you were whatever in, in one of the other, other Yugoslav republics, you might have said, hey, you know, we need to do something for us, for us as a folk, as a people. And that's what St. Landers does. It prepares in anticipation of a severe catastrophe in this country. Now, I think a lot of people, and we've had you on several times and, um, you know, talked about the situation in South Africa. Um, I know I was making headlines some, some weeks ago as well. Um, uh, Malima saying some things like he usually says, um, singing his songs and uh, talking about killing white people, basically. Um, how is the situation now compared to when you were on the show uh, last time? The situation has... Um deteriorated incrementally. So it's the, uh, the age-old South African thing. The trajectory is clear. It's worsening by the day, but not dramatically and not drastically. <clears throat> On the 2nd of June, following a poll that revealed that voter support for the African National Congress, the party that has ruled South Africa for almost 30 years, since the first multiracial elections in 1994, the African National Congress, according to this poll, only has about 36% voter support. The president of the country, who's also the head of the African National Congress, addressed the African National Congress Youth League annual convention, conference, symposium. And he gave a speech in which he said, it may be that in the near future, the ANC will no longer be able to hold on to power. And we are going to have to resort to force. You had better become militant now. We need you to be militant so that you can prosecute <clears throat> a revolution, a proper revolution, to ensure that the ANC retains power. And that was a clear reference to next year's uh, annual, uh, not annual, uh, national general election. And <clears throat> Malema, as you rightly allude, recently, five weeks ago now, uh, led the singing of uh, kill the farmer, kill the boer at his political party's uh, 13th birthday celebrations in a large stadium, there were 100,000 people present, perhaps more, not less. <clears throat> so there is this kind of febrile atmosphere. There is some kind of fever in the air. There's a lot going on. A lot of people have lost a lot of confidence in the African National Congress. Julius Malema is the head of uh, a, um, a creature of the ANC, a party that was created by the ANC to occupy political territory that it can't be seen to occupy. This is well understood now by the best academics. 
the best observers, the best political analysts. They are an, uh, a creature of the ANC. They are an ally of the ANC, although ostensibly bitter rivals, but not really. <clears throat> and they too are preparing for that revolution, that moment at which the ANC cannot retain power and they have to resort to violence. Not because I said it, but because on Saturday, the 2nd of June, at the, the ANC Youth League's annual conference, the president of South Africa spoke explicitly in the terms that I've already described to you. So things are looking really dicey. Farm murders, not good. Unemployment, now officially the highest in the world. Youth unemployment, the highest in the world by far. I beg your pardon. In terms of overall unemployment, second highest in the world. Youth unemployment, the highest in the world. We have rolling blackouts <clears throat> due to the failure of the national uh, uh, electricity utility that has been run into the ground by the, uh, by the African National Congress deployed staff. You know, you can't employ anybody unless they're a, a card-carrying member of the ANC. Um, we have rolling blackouts of between an hour and uh, the worst was in December, January, mm, 10, 11 hours, 11 and a half hours a day. No electricity, no store, no factory, no uh, home, no mall, no street light, um, traffic light. No, nothing can function for three, six, nine, 11 hours a day, depending upon the day. Things are not looking good. On Sunday, our largest national newspaper's main headline, you know, on the front page, right at the top, big, bold, black letters read, the government has run out of money. Um, there is a, uh, a, an emerging financial crisis. So coming on top of the electricity problems and the employment problems and the crime problems and the violence problems, it's uh, it's... It's bad, but but declining in an incremental manner. Right. I would be dishonest if I said to you that dramatic and drastic things were happening, and I, I think tomorrow I'm going to have to run for the hills and, and hide or whatever. It's not like that. It's getting very severe. 60% youth unemployment, and that when we say youth, we don't mean school kids. We right. mean young adults. Um, and fifth... The adjusted rate is 48 or 50% adult unemployment. That's bad. That's very bad. Um, yes. When it comes to crime, I think I told you before, my oldest son was first <coughs> um, assaulted, you know, for robbery purposes when he was 12 years old at elementary school, walking home. His mother has been smashed and grabbed, you know, through the, the side window of her motor car on her way to work twice. Um, their entire home has been cleaned out over a weekend while they were away uh, visiting friends twice. Um, I've been smashed in the head here. It's all fissures here above my temple. I've been shot at a few times. I've been stabbed. I was hit with an axe here, but just about one millimeter deep as the guy struck me up, I moved, you know, 
back on my on the balls of my my feet. So uh, I don't want to exaggerate the thing, but this is the nature of our existence. It's very dangerous, very difficult. Many people live in terrible fear, but uh, it's 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 reaching the abyss in an incremental, slow, painful way. And you, and you talk about um, unemployment specifically, youth unemployment. For those who don't know, um, that is traditionally um, a, a sign of like um, upcoming like civil war or like collapse of a state, uh, full collapse of a state. Uh, and um, those are traditionally markers. Um, and I think um, some of the stats you cite, maybe only like pa Palestine, you know, the Palestinian territories are like on par um, in terms of like youth unemployment and stuff like that. Um, it, is, it is really dire um, there. Um, I, I guess um, I, I do have some questions here uh, for you as well. Um, you know, I kind of just uh, uh, freestyling it uh, there at the beginning. But um, do you follow any of the other stuff that's going on? Um, in Africa as well. I know that there's, um, you know, some stuff going on in Niger and, and some other uh, countries. What was it? There's another coup uh, recently in was Gabon. It Gabon. Gabon, yes. Uh, that's what I was trying to think of the name. Um, and so how is that related to any of the um, situation there in South Africa? And what has the government um, kind of said in relation to that? <clears throat> I think... Ethan, that there is, by and large, I don't say everybody, and, and I, I'm particularly cautious when referring to Americans because the most well-informed people <clears throat> on the conservative end of the political spectrum that I know in the world are Americans. If you go to uh, nationalist and conservative and so on, such conferences in the USA, uh, you, you just cannot get over how well-informed, well-read, well-learned uh, learned people are. <clears throat> but generally speaking, though that kind of cream of the crop aside, people fail to appreciate the extent to which all of this, everything is interconnected. Part of the reason for the Niger, I'm going to use the, the, the French, it doesn't matter. I mean, Niger is perfectly acceptable. It's the uh, English, but um, I just uh, learned it in the French tradition. So that's my default sure. option. Um, the, part of the reason for the coup in Niger is the emergence of BRICS. For those who don't know, a uh, an asset manager, the head of asset management at Goldman Sachs, wrote a uh, like an essay in the early 2000s, in which he alluded to four countries that he believed <coughs> would develop and grow, and therefore become good destinations for investment for his clients by the year 2050. So he said the up-and-coming countries in the world will be Brazil, Russia, India, and China. And that's where you billionaires, he's writing not for holistic reasons or altruism, he's writing for billionaires, telling them what to do next. That's where you guys should be looking. Lo and behold, in 2009, those four countries got together and 
formed a kind of informal association. The following year, South Africa asked to be included. And South Africa was included as the red-headed stepchild. We are no, by no stretch of the imagination, equals to those other four countries. And so there was BRIC, and then there was BRICS, and now another six countries have been added, and there are now 11 countries, and I'll whip through them very quickly. Sure. Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, Argentina, Egypt, Ethiopia, Saudi Arabia, uh, United Arab Emirates, and Iran. I think that's 11. <clears throat> I hope I haven't left anybody out. And those countries are conspiring to subvert the dominance of the US dollar and United States hegemony, or hegemony if you prefer, and uh, Western bullying <coughs> and post-colonial exploitation and so on. A lot of which <clears throat> is true. It is true. It is true that especially in recent years, especially under uh, 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 Clinton, Obama, I'm skipping out a few, but I'm trying to think of the sure. most egregious examples, and now Biden, the USA has monetized, has, has weaponized its debt. So it exports debt in its own currency, the dollar, and allows inflation to take care of it on its end. So it's a very, very unbalanced thing. That is a legitimate claim. Sanctions, we don't like you today. We're going to ruin your life. We're going to, you've got money in our banks. Your sister's got money in our banks. Your sister's cousins, wives, niece, we take all your money. It's, you know, with the Russia thing. And the, the BRICS, the emergence of BRICS and the development of BRICS and the strengthening of BRICS from 2009 to 2023. And now the announcement, the leaked announcement, I should say, that there's going to be a BRICS currency backed by commodities, whether it be gold or oil or whatever the case may be, that it's coming soon. And over the past year and a half, the massive transition, I mean, it's, it's, it runs to hundreds of billions of dollars of countries saying, I want to buy sneakers from Paraguay and I want to pay in Ugandan kwacha. That was never possible before. You had to, the, the dollar was the intermediary currency of every tra transaction, international transaction in the world, with very few exceptions. Over the past 18 months, since the USA imposed sanctions upon Russia, Following the invasion on Thursday, the 24th of, of February of last year, the Russians, the Chinese, and others have said to one another, look, isn't there a way that I can just give you my money and you can give me your money for our various transactions? And that has begun to happen. And aggrieved peoples all over the world, whether the, uh, the, the grievances are legitimate or not, is almost immaterial. I only have to feel bad. I only have to feel like a transgender cucumber to be <laughs> a transgender cucumber. These people are saying, well, look, we can do this too. 
and we've got gripes and we've got grievances and we've got we've got Marxist studies at our universities and we we know that colonialism is bad and we know that the whites are horrible. So and in Niger, the French have long depended upon Nigerian uranium for their uh, reactors. They have, if I'm not mistaken, the highest per capita uh, nuclear generated power uh, pro rata, you know, in, in the world. The, the French live off nuclear power. They've always gotten their uranium or much of most of it from Niger, but for next to nothing. Peanuts. So lo and behold, everybody's feeling bold at the moment. The, the, uh, 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 the Russians are selling oil to China. The Chinese are paying in one or UN if you insist, but they pronounce it one. one yeah. And that means that means monies. The name of the monies, like you have money in the USA, but you call your money dollar. Their name for their money is renminbi. But they casually refer to it as monies. I'll give you a hundred monies for a hundred bananas. Would you like some monies? That's that you know. <clears throat> so they're paying in 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 one, and it, this has taken off like wildfire across the world. Everybody is keen. There are another twenty applicants, formal applicants, to join BRICS, and. Uh, something like, I don't want to exaggerate, I think it's 80 formal expressions of interest, not applications as such, not formal submissions of application, but formal expressions of interest. So there is this wildfire across the world to try to do things a different way, to kick the USA between the legs, to screw the West, to get on Russia's side, to be on the bandwagon with China. And the, the, the finest example of that is of course Saudi Arabia, which has just joined BRICS. And that is arguably one of the greatest acts of, of rejection or dismissal or of I'm trying to think of a word that's 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 not uh, uh, crass, but the you <clears throat> we all understand the the dollar. We understand how it works. In 1944, the 44, later 46, 47, Allied nations gathered at uh, the uh, Hotel Washington in, um, in New Hampshire to ask the USA for their gold back. They said, right, we've given you all of this gold in return for all of the materiel that you provided to us to win the uh, World War II, to prosecute World War II against the Germans. Now our currencies are no longer backed by gold. We need our gold back and we'll pay you off, you know, a million dollars a month or whatever it is for the next however many years. The USA flatly declined and said, no, we're <laughs> going to keep the gold. But what, <clears throat> what we'll do is we'll link all of your currencies to the dollar. So ultimately you will be backed by us and we will be backed by your gold. In the early 1970s, the USA experienced a currency crisis because the amount of money required to prosecute the, the Vietnam War was so great 
that it exceeded the USA's gold holdings. So on the 13th of August, 1971, uh, Richard Nixon and his, uh, his uh, big chiefs took a decision that was announced on Sunday, the 15th of August, 1971, so that it wouldn't spook the markets, that the USA was going off the gold standard. Would no longer the dollar would no longer be backed by gold and that decision and most people don't know this was not implemented on monday the 16th of august it was only implemented in 1973 but since if you prefer 1971 if you prefer 1973 it's fine for the past 50 or 52 years the entire world's currencies have been backed by nothing Shortly after that 1971, 1972 uh, point in time, the uh, USA began to experience inflation. There were some inflation scares, inflation crises. There was the oil crisis. And Richard Nixon sent Henry Kissinger to, to Saudi Arabia where he persuaded the Saudis to persuade the other Arab countries to work with the Saudis to not sell oil in any currency except dollars under any circumstances. In return, the USA would guarantee the Saudis all sorts of things, most notably defense. F-16s, F-15s, F-14s, F you name it, you want it, we'll give it to you. Just for pity's sake, ensure that our currency is propped up by demand. Namely, demand for oil. Take no other currency so that every, every liter of oil that is poured into every motor vehicle in the form of petroleum or diesel, so gasoline or diesel, in the world, billions of liters every hour, that every one of those liters has to seek out a dollar for purchase. Every country, BP, Shell, you know, anybody who's in that business has to come to us and buy dollars, thereby driving up the value in terms of supply and demand, because we've got a big fucking crisis here. We've got an end of the effing world crisis. <clears throat> and it worked brilliantly. And the Saudis and, and the United States have had this intimate relationship ever since then. In recent years, the old Saudi king died. His his uh, brother took over and his brother is aged so he appointed another one of the relatives because it doesn't work by male primogeniture in other words Switches. father son grandson yeah. it's the cousin the uncle the nephew that it's between different Mohammed... branches of the family too right yeah they switch off right yeah, yeah yeah so Mohammed bin Salman is the crown prince of Saudi Arabia he's not the king but he's effectively the king it's called a prince regent when the prince is effectively the king. Mohammed bin Salman, MBS, is effectively the king of Saudi Arabia. And nobody is entirely sure why. But in recent years, he has, and he's only been in position for a few years, six, eight. He's developed some kind of thing against the USA. He openly mocked Joe Biden. He mocked Joe Biden separately in secret. Uh, he spurned him when uh, Joe Biden pleaded for a visit. Previous to that, he'd been only too happy to have Donald Trump. 
he loved the guy. I, I'm sure you remember those videos from was it 2017 or 18 yeah. when they were you know doing all the dances and the the the, the 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 traditional swords and oh dear me it was love at first sight the the kisses sloppy kisses with tongue they couldn't get enough of one another but he hates with a passion nobody's entirely sure he's suddenly taken a disliking to the usa or he's suddenly taken a disliking to the democrats or he's taken a disliking to joe biden in person one way or the other out of the blue here comes saudi arabia the usa's you know part of the harem concubine of 50 years and they apply to join BRICS. and two weeks ago their application was approved and now all of a sudden and overnight this most influential of oil producers not doesn't have the biggest reserves in the world it's not the biggest producer in the world but it is the world's largest exporter and it is the most influential by far the most influential and the united arab emirates six percent of the world's petroleum reserves and seven percent of the world's gas reserves <clears throat> in a country smaller than this office the united arab emirates being a unification of seven arab emirates an emirati is a kingdom an emir is a king so seven arab kingdoms banded together and they called the united arab emirates dubai all these places that's united arab emirates six percent of the world's uh, uh, petroleum seven percent of the world's gas reserves and iran are all of a sudden joining russia which has no end of oil and gas reserves in this BRICS union trading in their own currencies for the first time in 54 years unbelievable breakthrough change sea change and other countries gabon and niger and <clears throat> the list goes on and on and on are saying wow maybe we can do something like that let's let's get rid of france let's charge them 200 euros a kilogram for yellow cake it's been it's been reported as 200 euros a kilogram for uranium but that's just a stupid it's not at all it's for the yellow cake the raw form as opposed to 80 cents some of the deals between france and niger were for 80 80 european cents 80 euro cents a kilogram so roughly two pounds for the sake of simple english for yellow cake to produce uranium the world is changing before our eyes it's going mad there's this like fever um i know i've given you quite a long sermon here but no, it was a big question that you asked no i i loved it and i i was just saying in chat this is amazing one of the best segments really that part right there uh is one of the best segments in in the history of this show um because you just brilliantly explained uh, uh Bretton Woods and uh, the petrodollar and the upcoming death of the petrodollar um 
And, you know, I don't, I don't think I've ever heard it uh, explained that well, quite honestly, by anybody. Uh, and so, no, I didn't want to I didn't want to stop that at all. Uh, and so I was I was listening along myself. Now I know a little bit. I'm not an expert um, on your level, but, uh, you know, I know a little bit about this stuff. Um, how much of this is, and I have some other questions. I'm, I'm just going to pick up off what you were talking about there, though. Um, how much, and you talk about the weakness of Biden, you could go there too a little bit, but um, how much of this um, is is really the United States' fault for, um, you know, it is the hegemonic power, um, but for those who know world history, hegemonic powers change. <laughs> and um, they don't always stay hegemonic. Um, but um, I, how much is, of it is due to the, you know, you talk about the debt um being offloaded uh, to other countries and stuff like that. How much of it is due to the United States um, basically not having enough respect um, for the other countries of the world um, that has pushed it to this level? 100%. The USA has displayed an egregious arrogance that has seldom been seen in the history of the world. And I, I tell people, because I've in recent years, spent a fair amount of time in the USA, not, not very recent years because of COVID and the travel restrictions, and uh, 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 obviously unwilling to take the jab. I mean, you know. Um, but prior to the, the travel restrictions being imposed, I spent a fair amount of time in the USA. And I emphasize this, and I'm on record as having done this. I do it all the time. I insist upon this. You will never, not as far as you go, meet better people than the conservatives of the USA. They're just a class of people that are that is true to conservatism. I talk about true conservatives, what other people, including me under different circumstances, would call right-wingers, proper right-wingers. Comes from the French Revolution on the, on the right-hand side of the parliament, sat the... Uh, the, the confessors, people who confessed Christ on the left-hand side were the humanists, the kind of proto-communists, if you like. And <clears throat> those true, true conservatives, best in the USA, but that's not who rules you. You're ruled by Molech worshippers in the most literal sense of it. Talmudists, people, absolute, genuine, true Talmudists. And anybody who's willing to do the reading on this subject will discover that what I'm saying is literally true, literally being a word that I very seldom use. Because it should be self-evident whether something is literal or not, but in this case, it may not be. Now, the USA has oh, used its privilege, like privilege has never been abused in the history of the world. And <clears throat> I want to tell you something that may be alien to, to most of your listeners. I once uh, was doing a job in Nigeria, work, and we had a very long day. And my client, a very wealthy man, and I and his driver returned back to his mansion late at night, having been <clears throat> on the go since six in the morning. It was after 10. And the driver having been, you know, driving for 16 hours or so. And the my client got out and said in pidgin English, so Nigerian English, um, now you had better go on guard duty. And if I catch you sleeping, there's going to be hell. And I, I sort of, I started, you know, I, I couldn't help it. 
was a sort of visceral reaction. And he looked at me and he said to me, there's one thing that you white people have forgotten about black people that we know very well. We mistake kindness for weakness. If I'm good and kind to my staff, they will eat me up. He said, that's why I'm cruel and brutal. brutal. It's not that I get a kick out of it. <clears throat> and Americans singularly fail to understand that when some cultures, peoples, ethnicities, races, and nations of the world observe a country becoming uh, gross, you know, the, uh, the original meaning of the word gross, great, in a gross sense, many people, a lot, to a large extent, feminized, LGBTQ, rainbow, uh, uh, it's just come out on, on Tucker Carlson, uh, uh, Barack Obama was, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. <clears throat> Gay since forever. Uh, Joe Biden is wearing uh, adult diapers. What those people see is now is the time to strike. And we're going to strike hard. We're going to strike you for what you did in Afghanistan on the basis of zero. We're going to strike you for what you did in Iraq on the basis of weapons of mass destruction, i.e. zero. We're going to strike you for what you did in Libya, <clears throat> which new peace, has never known peace, but only new peace under Gaddafi. We're going to strike you for what you did in Syria. And we're not going to, end, we're not going to stop striking until there is nothing left of you. And that sounds very melodramatic and people might be saying, oh, this guy's getting a little bit carried away here. That's true. I tell you that in the past two weeks, Saudi Arabia, which for 50 years would not accept any currency but the dollar for oil, started selling oil by the billions in any currency that comes. They have turned their backs on the USA like no lover has ever turned their back on another lover in the history of relationships, of love, of concubines, of harems, of men and women, of, of international relations, of diplomacy. It is one of the greatest snubs in the history of mankind. <clears throat> and it is going to have a, a, a very, very great effect. It's much bigger than people appreciate. My impressions, of course, are based upon what I read in, in U.S. media every day. I'm not talking about mainstream, of course. I don't uh, obviously read that. But the U.S. <laughs> conservative media fails, fails to appreciate the right. significance of what it's done. And now, two weeks later, I beg your pardon. I apologize for, for hectoring. But to make a last That's point, fine. yesterday... Yesterday, yesterday, Russia and Saudi Arabia, Russia, America's supposed mortal enemy, Russia and Saudi Arabia agreed to cut back on oil production by a million barrels a day until the end of the year, coming on top of the 1.6 cut that nearly uh, Joe Biden nearly, almost had to go to mental institution, the, the meltdown. <laughs> 
in the US government when they did the first cut. Today's oil price, 90 US dollars. What is the cap that the US, NATO, and the EU set? $60. It's one and a half times the cap price. And they don't give two hoots. You can cap us at one cent if you like. We're cutting production and global markets, including American markets, are saying we'll pay you, excuse my language, fuck Joe Biden, fuck the, our administration, fuck the USA. I'm an oil trader in New York. I'll pay you 70. I'll pay you 80. I'll pay you 90. It's going through the roof. And this is very, very, very harmful to the USA. And another brilliant uh, explanation there. And, you know, like you said, I mean, people got to have oil. <laughs> and, uh, it doesn't really matter, uh, you know, what kind of cap you try to set there, whatever. If, if things get out of hand, it's like, well, we got to have our oil. Uh, that's what the whole fucking world runs on, uh, literally. And, um, you know, I feel like people, of course, I live in Mexico, actually. Uh, and I think I think I was in Mexico last time we talked, but I don't recall. Um, and so it's close to the U.S., but. Um, you know, I was talking about this at the start of the show. Uh, the dollar's weakened dramatically against the peso just this year. Now it's making a little slight comeback uh, recently because of certain reasons, weakness in China and some other stuff. Um, but it's still um, dramatically lower than when I came here. It's at like seventeen point six pesos for one dollar or something. Now it was at like twenty or twenty-two, maybe something like that when I moved here. Um, now, that's a dramatic drop just here. So I've started to read wow. a little bit more about this stuff uh, than I even normally would. Uh, but I don't think people uh, in the United States really appreciate um, that it, it's kind of on the precipice, really, uh, the whole country. Uh, because the, the petrodollar and the status of the dollar as the world's reserve currency um, is, is basically... Uh, what holds the United States up at all, right? Uh, and um, if if that goes away, as it looks like it's going to, um, the the natural um, divisions in the U.S. that we see displayed all the time, um, the uh, multiracialism, quite frankly, uh, multiculturalism, um, that type of thing, which has been promoted by academics and leftists and all that stuff. Uh, and, and it can work for a time, and uh, if things are going good, it can it can it can work. Uh, but when things go bad, uh, and when that reserve status goes away, um, you're going to start to see um, most likely open violence and stuff like that, and and extreme unemployment and stuff like that in the United States itself. Uh, and you'll see, you know, uh, a, a lot worse than what you've seen so far. Uh, and I feel like. Uh, you know, a lot of people are read up on it, like you said, on the on the right and stuff like that. So not everybody, but um, I, I feel like most people really, though, don't really understand this issue at all um, and just how close it is to like being unrecoverable uh, and, and, and no way back. And it may already be there, really. Um, but it, it's going to take some real leadership in Washington and some less arrogance. Uh, and you talked about um, the last 20 years of, of diplomatic affairs. You mentioned sanctions at the top uh, and the weaponization of, um, you know, even visas. Uh, you know, the EU's changing. They're getting rid of the free entry visa for the U.S. And they're doing that in response to the U.S. being an asshole, basically, and, and making it hard 
for EU people to get into the country. So they're like, well, we're going to change our rules. And that, that's just one example. Um, but it's going to take some real um, leadership in the United States, and it's quite frankly going to going to take some uh, some great diplomacy uh, and some and some great concession ability and and deal making ability. Uh, that quite frankly, the leadership in the United States, um, really on either side. Um, I don't I don't see that um, as inspiring too much confidence, <laughs> right? Like, uh, well, <laughs> you know, there, there are many examples to illustrate the point I'm going to make. I'm going to take merely one, Ukraine. There are certain rudimentary factors that are never reported in any or in in 95% of American conversations about the Ukraine war. For instance, it was the US observers who declared Viktor Yanukovych's uh, win in the 2004 election in Ukraine to be invalid. And the, the thing was rerun and he lost. Okay, uh, maybe, maybe he did cheat the first time around, but that's not that's not their position. And they have a position. Then in 2007 at the Munich Security Conference, and I urge anybody who is interested in geopolitics and high strategy who hasn't seen this, go and watch it. Vladimir Putin issued a stark warning to the West over 2007 Munich Security Conference uh, about their machinations against Russia. We know that in, in the early 90s, when the Soviet Union was collapsing, the American government, or governments actually, really, because that's how, it, or, or what, do you, what do you call them? Administration. Administrations, yes, yes. Gave solemn undertakings that NATO would never be expanded eastward. There have been five waves of expansion involving, if I'm not mistaken, 27 countries. This was a red line. The, the, the Soviets said, as they were collapsing, they said, guys, you won. You, to the victor goes the spoils. We ask only one thing. And it was genuinely only one thing in all of those conversations. Don't come eastward. We remain a nuclear power. We are vulnerable. We are weak. We are lying on the floor, bloodied. Take advantage of us. Do what you want, but there's a limit to all things in life. And the Americans solemnly said that we will not do. You have the early 90s, you have 2004, you have 2007, you have Viktor Yanukovych winning in 2010, and then the Maidan, the Euromaidan, the independent square that became kind of rechristened Euromaidan <coughs> uh, revolution that toppled Yanukovych and Victoria Newland, who's, by the way, whose grandparents were exterminated, this you can look up, was handing out sandwiches with embassy money on the Euromaidan. It was, it is now generally acknowledged by many observers, Scott Ritter, Mearsheimer has been a, doing a brilliant job of this since forever. The um, Israel lobby, the French Jewish guy with the, the, the I forget his name, has been saying this since forever. All of this 
from from one side not from the u.s side and i don't say the u.s side is invalid i say there is another side i say there's a man and a wife and there's a divorce and the wife thinks man wrong the man thinks the wife is wrong the reality is that that side sees all of these things that are never reported in the usa then the russians invade and they find 46 biological research laboratories not in ukraine in ukraine on the borders of russia and they say you have provoked us enough lo and behold the u.s senate and congress get fully behind this ukraine thing who is the dissident voice is it rand paul is it who nobody the republicans are as culpable in the eyes of the world if you talk about leadership as the democrats the, the rest of the world doesn't see a distinction the rest of the world says the, the 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 conservatives who should be at least able to identify deceit and dishonesty and double dealing and duplicitousness or duplicity they they should be saying something but nobody's saying anything so the world is skeptical of the united states's ability to rediscover honest leadership the rest of the world says <clears throat> Okay, if Donald Trump wins, great, but he's going he's gonna to trick you. You're not going to see it. You're just going to love it. He's going he's gonna, to he's gonna get the USA into another $8 trillion of unpayable debt. So what the USA says is, rah, rah, re, rah, 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 Donald Trump. What the rest of the world says is, he created 40% of all of the debt of all of the history of the USA. He, in four years, incurred more than double the debt that was incurred by any other president adjusted for inflation in eight years and or any other two presidents in any two four-year terms. <clears throat> you can't pay it. You're exporting it to us so that we pay it for you. And then you're going to tell us everything's great. Dad took a loan from the bank and he came home. <laughs> he came home with Christmas presents. We're rich. It doesn't matter that we're not going to eat meat on our plates or eat three meals a day for the next 65 years. The economy is booming. And it's an artifice. It's all artificial. It's all a fiction. It's all a cake, the, the icing on a cake uh, and hundreds of thousands. Of, I don't know if that's what you call them in the USA. Little baubles and things that twinkle in, in pretty little girls' eyes. It's not a substantial ability to recover strong leadership. When I grew up, we looked to the USA as something superior to us. We all thought, oh, gee, aren't they just the best? Look, they, they do the right thing every time. And they, they you know, they all go to church. And, and, and they, you know, they, 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 that's a, an idyllic thing. Now we look at it and we say, oh, this is going to be entertaining. This <laughs> is going to be the best sports on TV.
we're going to be watching trannies spank guys with three purple hearts in public while shutting down all domestic oil production and turning to wind turbines that cost a billion dollars each and smash 10,000 birds a year out of the sky. It's like the, the Tesla phenomenon. In the USA during COVID, everybody was thoroughly excited by Tesla. It was a rising stock. The, the payoff period, the, the price to earnings ratio was 192. So if I invested in Tesla, I only had to wait 192 years to recover my money. It's the deal of a lifetime to invest in a company that produces motor vehicles that are extremely expensive, that cause endless mining destruction in Africa and drive a very short distance. That's what we're seeing. And you, and you talk about Tesla. Um, people don't even understand, um, really. Um, and, and, you know, there's some things about Musk that I like or whatever, but um, he's kind of got a real house of cards there um, with, with Tesla uh, and, you know, his dealings worldwide and, and, and Africa. And, in fact, they're trying to build a giant uh, new Tesla campus in Mexico, although it's run up the last couple of weeks against some pressure and they haven't been getting the, the approvals that they need. Now, I don't know if they will eventually. Maybe they will, but... Um, it's a real house of cards there. Um, he apparently borrowed a billion dollars from SpaceX. He's supposed to be the world's richest man, um, by the way. Um, and, you know, he borrowed a billion dollars from... It's a private company, but um, he borrowed a billion dollars. Um, he over-leveraged, uh, vastly overspent for Twitter, now called X. Um uh, just thoughts on Musk real quick, and I'll go to some of these Super Chats. If you have any Super Chats, throw them in there. Uh, I don't want to keep you all night, but um, I, I do have some more questions and, and some of these Super Chats that I wanted to read to you. Uh, but thoughts on Musk uh, in general, since you brought it up, and, and Tesla. Uh, Elon Musk is pulling off the biggest scam in all of the history of scams. He's a superstar. You've got to hand it to him. Yeah. Um, you know, 192 years price to earnings ratio and the whole of the United States of America fell for it. Everybody lock, stock and barrel. There's nobody who didn't fall for it. Um, 192 years, you're flipping idiots. Um, and this is a guy who has children with Grimes and he in, was it uh, late November or early December announced that the, the first chip, for implanting in the human brain had been perfected and the first implant would occur in 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 March and then I think in April he announced that there was a little bit of a delay but this guy is implanting chips in human brains and you love him good for you I cannot wait I cannot wait it's like watching uh, I don't know what MMA or something it's not that I I would do it it's not that I wish the pain on you, but if you're willing to step into the ring with Khabib Nurmagomedov and get your nose broken, I'm willing to pay $5 for a ticket to watch. The suicide of the USA is 
indisputably the most entertaining super strategic slash geopolitical event of my lifetime, regardless of what happens next. I'm 52. Let's say I live another 30 odd years. There's nothing that will compare to watching the madness of, of the USA. Um, you know, brigadiers, <clears throat> male brigadiers in makeup and purple hair and high heels. I mean, it's just too wonderful for words. Um, Anthony Fauci, Joe Biden with his, uh, his, uh, his diapers, uh, Tucker Carlson exposing Barack Obama giving BJ's for, for crack cocaine. BJ's for crack cocaine. Do me a favor, please. Your president was giving BJ's for crack cocaine. Help me here. I'm also a human being. Give me a break. I'm trying my best. Guys, let's face it. You're putting on a show. <laughs> it's a real show. Um, and it's 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 um, the arrogance and it's the loss of respect of the world. And, you know, I live here in Mexico. It's not that they don't have, you know, trannies, you know, they're around or whatever. Um, and, and certain, you know, leftist, um, you know, lunacy and stuff like that. But it's not... Uh, promoted culturally you know what i mean like it's not um it's not really accepted um it's not promoted as as an ideal um it's it's a vastly more you talk about conservative country now in some ways it's libertine i guess with uh, you know hedonistic activities maybe but um there's a real focus on um the family uh in mexico and um you know, you go to a restaurant, almost, uh, you know, any decent restaurant has like a play area for kids and stuff like that. That's pretty much disappeared in, in the United States. It used to be like that when I was a kid. Um, but you, you don't see that anymore. Um, and, you know, and and, and I, I live in Merida, which is one of the safest cities, safer than any city almost in the United States by far. Um, and people don't understand that. Um, but... The United States is is really, and I got reasons for not wanting to be there other than that. But um, the United States is headed for a, an epic disaster uh, on a, on a level that, like you said, it's going to exceed anything in world history, um, and literally. And um, you know, I I know we're we're kind of uh, blackpilled here, so to speak, uh, a little bit with the discussion, but I don't really see. A way to turn that around um and uh, you know it would take like a a, a generational or a, a, almost like a leader of a of a of a century of a centuries um you know like an augustus or somebody like just somebody so impressive to to pull it back out and i mean to say that that that's unlikely is an understatement um and you see the petty squabbles and what we actually argue about in the united states and um you know the 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 country's about to fucking collapse, and you know we're arguing about uh, you know fucking pronouns and <laughs> video games and uh, tranny this and call me ma'am and all. It's it's literally it's so divorced from what is actually happening. Like the the issues are so ridiculous, um, and it's like nobody even fucking talks about it really except on shows like this and in certain media and stuff but um 
you know, your average day American has no fucking clue uh, of what's about to happen. And, um, you know, the world is watching uh, for sure. And, you know, I found that, and, and Americans don't really understand this, um, but if you go abroad, um, they have a much better understanding of America than Americans have of the world. Uh, and just in general, uh, I've, I've found that people abroad actually, uh, are, are generally speaking, uh, more intelligent, uh, about the affairs of the United States than the United States citizenry is about the affairs of, of the global nations. Uh, and I, you know, I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't really see a way to turn it around. I don't know if, if you do, but, um, it's looking like it's 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 pretty much done yeah it is done and uh, i tell people that the best thing that you can do is work to safeguard your welfare in circumstances of cataclysm rather than endeavor to prevent it because you're not going to prevent it and your energy and time would be better spent in insulating yourself from it now. In other words, teaching your children that they are girls and that they are boys and that there is right and that there is wrong and it is bad to steal and so on and so forth. And the Ten Commandments and <clears throat> the love of the only savior uh, of mankind. And uh, in that way, insulate yourself in the present as far as humanly possible but work to safeguard the, your welfare to safeguard your interests in the time that lies ahead because cataclysm in the usa is now inevitable especially to those of us who've watched this movie before we've been through monumental transitions it's the, the transition from apartheid <clears throat> Television was banned until 1976 because of it, it was considered insidious. Gambling was utterly banned until the last day of apartheid. Uh, abortion, utterly banned. Divorce, almost impossible. And so the list goes on. To go from that to post-apartheid, the new South Africa rainbow nation was, uh, you know, paradigm. We're not in Kansas anymore. <coughs> um and we can see the way that things are going in the usa i gave a speech at uh, the political cesspool radio show birthday party in late 2019 and i fell ill the day before and uh, i was so ill that i couldn't read the words that i'd written in my speech of my speech so i, I walked up on stage and i said well, look here's my speech you can see you know all the writing and what have you but i'm i'm too ill to focus on so i'm just going to ramble I'm sorry for wasting your time. If if I talk rubbish, you're welcome to get up and walk out. But I'm too ill. And so I rambled about a few things and I got onto the subject of this, you know, the, the state of affairs in the USA. And I said, you will witness very, very soon the beginnings of mass violent confrontation. And I went up, uh, I was invited up to somebody's hotel room, a very respectable gentleman of the uh, the right wing in the USA, and he had a guest in the hotel room, another eminently refined southern gentleman of the most 
impeccable class. And they were chatting, and, and at one point, this uh, southern gentleman turned to me and said, uh, I, was, uh, I disagree very strongly with what you said about imminent violence in the USA. And four months later, the Portland riots broke out. And five people in that audience got, got hold of my telephone number and sent me messages. And they all went along this line. They said, how on earth did you know? All of a sudden, you go from looking like a guy who didn't know what he was talking about to the cleverest guy in the room. And it's not because I'm a guru or anything like that. It's because we've watched the movie. We know the movie. We know how it ends. We know the theme of the movie. The woman's name might be Jane in one movie, and it might be Sarah in another. The guy's name might be Michael, or it might be George. But basically, they pursue one course of events. The reality is that the USA is in a terminal, terminal, terminal crisis. And if there's anybody who's in doubt about this, if there's anybody who's kind of listening to the show and thinking, well, I don't know, maybe it could be possibly, look up U.S. inflation now, the official figures, and then go to shadow stats and see <sighs> the true U.S. inflation. It is beyond 17%. Now, there are banana republics in the world, in South America, in South Asia, in Southeast Asia, in, uh, in the Middle East, roughly speaking. I'm thinking of uh, Nepal, Bhutan, Afghanistan, Pakistan. Um, and there are many countries in Africa and many, many other banana republics in Micronesia, I think I've covered the gamut, the spectrum quite well, that do not have 17 to 20 to 25% inflation rates. The USA is being hammered to death and your politicians are looking in your, you in the eyes and saying, it's really not that bad, you know. It's about eight or 9%. We'd like it to be lower. And we're trying very hard just for you. Scouts honor, dip, 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 dob, dob, dob. And people are saying, that's right. That's why we should vote next year. Is something wrong with you? It's demonic. You're possessed by a demon. You're not possessed. What is it? Congenital? You were born stupid? Or you're being willfully perverse? It can only be one of those three categories. Born stupid or you're drunk at present or you're under the influence of drugs or whatever. If you're just a stupid person, there's many stupid people, they'll be they'll see Jesus before me. There's nothing wrong with being stupid, but you're stupid. <clears throat> like me, I'm short. I can't play basketball. That's just the way it is. Uh, or you're demonically possessed, or you're willfully per perverse. They are raping you, and you're saying thank you for the opportunity to go back and vote. Again! You nailed it. Uh, I, I can't. I can't follow up on that. Um, I, I do have um, a comment here. Uh, again, if you have any questions you want me to ask, uh, throw them in a super chat. Powerchat.live/slash/the Ralph Retort. Killstream.live/slash/tip. Rumble rants work. 
hyper chats on Odyssey, um, many different ways to support um, Cash App, all that stuff. Um, I, I see this on Odyssey. It was actually sent in before the uh, before you even got here. Um, uh, Kent says I met uh, Simon in person. Drunk beer with the man. He seemed like he was really authentic and was very passionate when he spoke. Um, but I just, I know this is critical. I didn't see this part. I can't get over the fact that he was second in command of the ANC even when they were spewing anti-white hatred. Now, I didn't see that part of it. But uh, I guess that was a critical comment. What do you say? I don't know anything about that, but what do you say? That? No, I was never second in command <laughs> of the African National Congress. And say, if you, pretty high if title you, if you get word, yeah. If you go online, you'll you'll see that that's true. I, let me tell you the, the truthful story. I worked in live events as a project manager for many years. And in South Africa, we don't have the world's largest rock bands. So if you're successful in live events, you end up doing the biggest events are FIFA World Cup, Rugby World Cup, Cricket World Cup. Otherwise, it's presidential inaugurations, national holidays, and so on and so forth. Therefore, I did a lot of work, a lot, a huge amount of work for the African National Congress government of the Republic of South Africa. Just as you, Ethan, if you were a road builder and you were deeply conservative, if you were an, an Amish Methodist, I don't know what, but you were a road building expert and the government of the day, namely Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, as left wing as you could possibly imagine, gave you a contract to upgrade the I-32 in Ohio. That's what you would do. That's what you do. So I worked very closely with many, very senior people in the African National Congress for a long, long, long time. And I was deeply embedded in not in the African National Congress, but in that kind of that relationship, that that ongoing thing of the new South Africa, the rainbow nation, um, the the world's most liberal constitution, you know, all of this kind of stuff, this mentality, this environment, this work, this this money, <clears throat> that's what it was. I had extensive, close relationships with senior people in the African National Congress over a long period of time based upon my work. But I'm certainly not a communist, never have been. You will never find any record of me, uh, my signature on a registration form to pay membership to the ANC or the Communist Party. You know, the ANC and the Communist Party are. Uh, what they call a tripartite alliance with the the uh, Congress of South African Trades Unions. It's it's actually one party. It's a very little known thing in the outside world. I've never belonged to the Congress of South African Trades Unions or any of their subsidiary affiliates. Um, but yes, I did have a lot to do with the ANC for years and years and years. All right, now there was a, another comment here. Um from Krusty uh, on Rumble Rants. He said, Ralph, don't feel obligated to interrupt Simon to read. Uh, so I waited. Uh, he said, half my DNA is British South African and half my family lives there. Thank you for bringing on Simon. Uh, my heart is with uh, South Africa. Uh, and thank you for your support there. Uh, definitely keeps the show going. Um, uh, 
what do you Good. do you want to respond to that or, or say anything about that um and yeah how often do you get just like to say like oh I, we get we get kind complimentary comments all of the time <clears throat> the 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 difficult part is the the attacks from outside you know from mainstream media that we're racist that we're neo-nazis that we whatever you know uh, hate black people this kind of stuff i'm the only white person i know one who lived not stayed in or visited lived in the notorious single men's working hostels the notorious black migrant labor hostels of south africa i lived in room 77 as it was called not 77 but room 77 of dalton hostel opposite delbridge station in durban and below just south of durban uh, my relationships with black people are not something i have to be ashamed of you 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 may believe me i have a woman who works for me and she, because I'm a bachelor, sadly, I'm a, I'm, I'm an incel. I'm an involuntary celibate. I, I would know. be very happy. Yeah. yeah oh, I'm sorry for you, man. Wow. It's not nice. I, I really wish I'd been a better, better behaved boy when I was younger and that I'd been happily married uh, for a long time. But um, so I have a woman who comes in because I live like a bachelor, like all men live when they don't have a woman. <laughs> And she comes and cleans and does whatever. And she said to me that she was gossiping with the other maids the other day. And they were talking about the, all of the, the masters and mistresses, you know, the, the employers in the village. <clears throat> and she said that the others said to her that I'm the best of all of the masters in the village. They wouldn't know. They wouldn't know because they've never worked for me. But they gossip about who gets paid what and, you know, who gets fed what and who has what hours. I, I have no problems with black people, but I'm white. My mommy is white. My daddy is white. My kiddies are white. And when Julius Malema says, kill the farmer, kill the boer, I say, you want to kill the farmer, and that's a metaphor for white. You want to kill the boer, that's a metaphor for Afrikaner whites. That's me. I'm going to get it into my head to leave the live event industry in which I was making big money, beautiful money. And I'm going to go into the desert here where this village is in a semi-desert called the Karua, K-A-R-O-O. You can look it up. And I'm going to work for one-fifth the salary for my people. It's not about hatred. And uh, I can't remember, I've gone off the top, but yeah, we get all these hit pieces telling us that we're sure. assholes, but we're not. And <laughs> that's why you and I were speaking about you coming out to visit. Yes. <clears throat> that's why a few years ago, I went on that huge campaign of saying, look, if you're in two minds, come and see for yourself. We had the Times of London. We had the Voice of America. We had PBS, um, Russia Today, CNN uh, sent a team out of Atlanta. Uh, we had uh, Develt. Uh, 56 different channels, um, if you can even believe that. We had uh, the Frankfurter Allgemeine Zeitung. We had 
dozens and dozens and dozens of American Europe uh, and Europeans who watch shows like yours and Alex Jones and wherever that I was interviewed and said, come and see for yourself. We'll host you. Adjudicate for yourself. And not one of the people who actually came here wrote a hit piece, not even the Times of London. We're ordinary people. We're good people. We're not so bad. Um, but I want to get back to one thing. Sorry, sure. Ethan, I, I apologize. But your man, Kent, if he could send a message to you reminding us where he met me, I'd appreciate that. That would be very sentimental for me. Okay, sure. Yeah, I think he's still watching. Uh, Kent, if you could... Uh um add that if you want um i don't know if he if he wants to share or not but yeah go ahead and, and say and I'll, I'll look back on odyssey here in a second see um i see an, another super chat from crusty here uh on rumble uh, and it says what does simon think awaits uh white south africans in the next five to ten years <clears throat> almost certainly there is going to be a crisis in south africa uh, let's uh I don't want to exaggerate, but excuse me, having a hip hiccup. That's okay. I ate too much sausage for dinner. We have a, a sausage called Burevors, very, very famous in South Africa. And I ate a little bit too much and I'm hiccuping. Um, uh, over the next 18 months, there's almost certainly likely, there's almost certainly going to be a, a, a severe crisis that will be a confluence of three or four factors. An election crisis for the African National Congress in April next year, when the next uh, national elections are due to take place. A currency crisis, because all of our debt is denominated in dollars. Everything, even my truck, uh, even ultimately my house bond, the roof over my head, that debt is ultimately denominated in dollars. A currency crisis and a debt crisis. As I said to you earlier, the headlines on our nation's largest Sunday newspaper's front page five days ago read, South Africa has run out of money or the government has run out of money. Um, and that will lead to uh, uh, enormous fractiousness in this in in our society which is already teetering on the edge of some kind of uh catastrophe at the risk of using you know at the risk of, of of being a bit dramatic and it will be exacerbated those those three primary factors will be exacerbated by this ongoing electricity crisis that causes people immense pain in a very uh, diurnal daily manner I can't work today. I cannot sell goods today. I can't earn money today because today, during my working day, the, we went without electricity for six hours. And it was four hours yesterday and three hours the day before. And tomorrow it's going to be five. Those things will, whether that means that there will be nationwide anarchy. or civil war within 18 months, I don't know. But I do know this. We will be in international headlines. The, our crisis will be severe enough that it will be reported in the world. 
I see Ada Wolf. He says, stay safe, bro. Uh, I have uh, boar's blood from my grandmother's side. Uh, I have their bolo knives uh, from the boar wars, uh, he said there, and also saw a comment that said, boar worst is, de- is delicious. I'm going to have to try that. That sounded pretty good. Um, yeah, some pretty good uh, chorizo, pretty good too here in Mexico. But uh, uh, I think that sounds pretty good. I'm gonna have to look that up. I'm actually not familiar with that. Um, now there's some other. Let me make sure. Uh, like I said, if you have a super chat question you want to ask, go ahead and get those in because I'm not gonna keep them all night. But I do have a few more questions um, uh, from the chief of staff here uh, as well. I'm gonna look to make sure. Um, I don't think I missed any. But if you got any cinnamon, uh, any which way you please. Uh, and, um, and I can, uh, read them out here. Um, I'm looking through, okay, now let me get to my questions here. Um, let's see. Um, can you explain, now this is a little more, um, there was a question about Musk on here too. Uh, I think you explained that trader, national hero. Um, I, I don't think you see him as a national hero. Um, so he talked about that a, a little bit. Um, can you explain who uh, Brendan Horner is and what occurred, uh, and how did his killers get let off the hook? Brendan Horner was a young, white, in spite of his name, I, th- I think that he was Afrikaans-speaking, in spite of the English name, young, white, farm manager in a rural region of South Africa who was kidnapped or abducted and tortured to death. And it elicited a huge reaction among the conservative white South African farming community among the Boers, roughly speaking. Boer means farmer. So the the Afrikaner people are named one of two ways. For their language, Afrikaans, Africanish, is what you would call it in, in, in English, <clears throat> or Boer, farmer. So the connection between the, the, the Dutch people of South Africa and the land is something that you won't find anywhere else in the world. I've met many American farmers, they're fantastic people, and they have something special that we don't have. Really, they do. I say that without flattery. But the connection to the soil is something different here. So the Boers were furious that this poor young boy, 23 years old, if I remember correctly, was tortured to death by, this is now in inverted commas, black savages. The black savages have tortured this poor little chap to death. The conservative farming community went berserk. However, there's more to the story. There is a long history of black uh, in to date, I, up to this very day, black marriages are, are in, in contractual terms. Let's say you, I'm selling bananas, you're offering um, <clears throat> whatever dollars for them. The, there's an implicit contract 
I took, you gave, you took, I gave. Later we go to court, the, 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 there was an implicit contract. <clears throat> the contract of a black marriage is sealed, not by the wedding ceremony, not by nothing, it is sealed by the dowry. And to this day, the dowry is not rubies, it's not gold, it's not motor cars, it's not golden chains, <clears throat> it's cattle. So the keeping of cattle by black people is far more important than anybody who is not South African can understand. And I say that with respect to your audience. You just don't understand the importance of cattle to black people in South Africa. There is a long history of black cattle, rangy, mangy, shitty cattle being let onto good white farmland because the black farmlands tend to be overgrazed. If you drive through South Africa, you'll see in all of the black homelands that dominate South Africa, a lot of soil erosion. It's terrible. And the white lands don't have that. So <clears throat> when nobody's looking, I let my cattle onto your land and they eat up your pasture and then you discover them or I get them off before you discover them. <clears throat> we have a fight or we don't have a fight and so life goes on. Brendan Horner's employer had a habit of keeping the black, the black's cattle that were illegally put on his land to graze his rich, lush, verdant pasture. And the local blacks eventually had enough and they got to him in the only way that they could by getting hold of his employee, young white boy, and torturing him to death slowly over many, many, many hours. I haven't seen photographs of the body um, and I don't know anybody who has, but the uh, newspaper reports imply that the torture was grievous, really very grievous, and that he died not of some sort of coup de grace, some final blow, but of the torture itself. So it remains a lingering wound, but an uncomfortable wound for the white conservative community, because our wrath was, at least to some extent, even if it's only 1%, wrongly directed yes what they did was wicked but the story didn't end there it was like a bad divorce the wife has a point of view the husband has a point of view and the blacks as wrong as they may have been to torture him to death like some guy being waterboarded at guantanamo bay under barack obama's uh, uh, watch as wrong as it may be there was some kind of a background story to it. And thank you for explaining that. I actually didn't know about that incident myself. Um, and great, 
the whole the whole appearance has been amazing. You're one of the best guests we ever had on the show, really, in terms of being able to explain complex issues and and um, just South Africa in general. But um, uh, there's another question here: How how um, would or could Westerners begin to homestead and form their own communities? Now, I, I actually left the United States. I'm living in Mexico now, uh, which is a little different because I don't, I don't speak Spanish. Uh, for one, I'm getting a little a bit here and there, but uh, I'm gonna try to get that down recently. So I kind of decided um, not to live in the United States at least anytime soon, uh, and and kind of left. Um, Again, I did have my family here, and that went awry. And so I, it's just me. Like you said, I'm living like a bachelor uh, as well. Uh, but, uh, you know, that was that was my decision. But is there a way that, um, you know, whites or Westerners in, in, in uh, some of their home countries could, could form, um, you know, their own homesteads or their own – I don't know. I mean, I, I've heard other people ask that and talk about that too, but it just doesn't really seem to be um, – like any real push for that or any, but I don't know what you think about it. People, people are welcome to please themselves. Um, Ethan, it may be that our forecasts of 2016, 17, 18, 19, that a political crisis in the USA was incipient is false. It may be that our forecasts of 2016, 17, 18, 19, that Donald Trump would be shoved out of power and then the, 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 the traditional forces of power in the USA would maul on him. That may not happen. He may, he may remain the president. I don't know. I've lost track of time. And it may be also that the following forecast is false. But there are big things coming to the world. And you can either take steps to mitigate or not. Please yourself. I'm beyond caring. I'm beyond begging and pleading people to do this stuff. When I was a youngster, I was a what we call in South Africa a lifesaver. So it's, it's a bit complicated. I'm going to keep the story really simple. <clears throat> There's a huge culture, or there was then, of youngsters on the coast, lived at the coast, <clears throat> supporting the, the life-saving services, the lifeguarding services of the beaches. And I grew up very near to the beach that at the time possessed the highest shark attack rate by far in the world. And as 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 year olds, lots of testosterone, got to prove yourself, do all these things. We would swim out to the world's first shark nets, which is a staggered arrangement like this. And what they do is they allow the sharks to swim between the nets. You can't have one continuous net or the riptides would tangle it up in the first day. You have to limit them and they have to be gaps between them. So they, they do the gaps like that. And six or seven of us would swim out once a year, once every two years, whenever we could find the courage to those shark nets, knowing that no other beach in the world had as many sharks in its waters as where we were swimming at that very moment. 
and we would approach the nets and we'd start to panic because the water gets, you know, there's a certain quality to looking into deep sea water. It's very, it's, there's something eerie about it. And on every single occasion that I did it with my friends, the same thing happened. We would start to slow down. And then somebody would say, today, I don't have to be the fastest swimmer to survive. Every, on every occasion, bar none, I only have to be not the slowest. And with that, w one guy would turn and go. He would belt like hell because he was afraid that he was the slowest. He would, on every occasion, somebody's nerve would break. And without a word, somebody would go and the rest of us would follow him. And we would be a long way from shore, knowing we were swimming among sharks. As a matter of fact, how the nets work is the sharks are able to swim in and then they panic and they can't rationalize the, the gaps through which they swam in. And so they just plunge straight into what is in front of them. Like one of those Amazonian fish traps that you see on uh, those Attenborough uh, uh, documentaries. <clears throat> so the fish, the sharks will always be caught going out, never coming in. <clears throat> and similarly, I say to the people who are listening tonight, you don't have to be the best. In order for you to be in the top 0.001% of most well-prepared people among the population that is now 335 million recently. The U.S. population, whatever data, I forget the name of the thing, release the thing. Yeah, 335 million citizens in the USA. In order to be in the, in the one in 100,000, all you've got to do today is buy one can of tuna and not eat it. And then one jerry can of 20 or 25 liters, so that would translate to six or so gallons of gasoline or dieseline, depending upon your vehicle. And then buy just 10 ounces of silver. It's peanuts. In dollar terms, it's peanuts. In rand terms, my currency terms, I don't earn, I don't have enough disposable income at the end of the month to buy 10 ounces of silver. For you to spend $125 is next to nothing. It's easy for you. Or $150, whatever it is now. I don't know what the current price per ounce in dollars is. For you to take small steps that gradually empower you and strengthen you and elevate you in the hierarchy one echelon at a time from right down here to the top 90% to the top 10% to the top 1% to the top 10th of a percent to the top 100th of a percent is easy it's like doing those online things body mass index and wealth and poverty, you know, you they have those stupid things. You go online and they say, uh, take take this test to see where you yeah. are among the fattest people in the world to make <laughs> you feel guilty about being American, you know, or, or or how rich you are. 
and you only earn, I don't know what, uh, $1,000 a month. I don't know what number you like to choose. And you discover that you're in the top 10% richest people in the world <laughs> earning $1,000 a month. Similarly, your sense of perspective may be false. You may not recognize that in order to survive, in order to get through the hell that is coming to the USA, this enormous catastrophe of de-dollarization and of fractiousness and of civil crisis, you don't have to have a Learjet and a Jeep and a Humvee and a cabin in Colorado that's built underground in an old uh, nuclear missile silo with two uh, 23 millimeter anti-aircraft guns stationed in the pine trees. You don't have to do that. You just have to take small, simple steps forward in basic ways. And you will be doing more than the next guy and 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 the next guy. And, the next guy. and lo and behold, you will find yourself in the utter elite. Learn a skill. Buy a wrench. Buy some brass nails and some brass screws. Get a soldering iron. Uh, store up your whiskey bottles so that you can use them later on for uh, putting uh, 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 food in them, you know, whatever, right. canning or whatever. If you've got a thousand brass screws, countersunk wood screws in a time of crisis, of real crisis, and you've got a hundred ounces of silver and you've got a thousand liters of petroleum or gas, gas, gasoline. Man, you'll be A for away. The only thing, that, and I'll say this solemnly, very, very solemnly, the only thing you will lack is a small group based upon <clears throat> high trust relationships of mutual dependence. You must, you must, you must have three or four or five or six people around you who are heavily dependent upon you and upon whom you are heavily dependent. This is something you cannot do alone. Not unless you're Chuck Norris or what, 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 what. For the average person, preparing is well and good. Beans and bullets are great. They will elevate you to the uppermost, to the capstone, to the uppermost echelon of the hierarchy of people that can survive catastrophe. But you will be alone. And any two or three or four other people will be strongly positioned to relieve you. Yes. So that's the one key. The one key is you can't do it alone. And that's what St. Lambert's is based upon. We have that critical mass of 150,000 active participant members and others who will join us naturally in such a crisis. So we have some critical mass. It's not to say that we have an army of 10 million people, but we have enough just to get started. That's, that's it. Excellent. Uh, excellent answer there. And I, I think I might have one or two more questions, but um... You know, I, I really am thinking about taking that that trip down there uh, to South Africa, and I've been. We talked about it last time. Of course, I have some cats here and and stuff, and it's just me now, and uh, you know, having my family last time, and so uh, I'd have to make some some arrangements. But I, I really would like to to do that. Um, 
and um, and and come check it out on my own. Um, and I've, I've looked into it, but uh, we, we can talk more about that off air. But uh, I know we talked about it a little bit last time. People ask me about it too because they remember uh, that conversation. They're like, "When are you going down there? You know, what's going to happen with that?" Um, but I, but I have actually been thinking about it. Um, and uh, I wouldn't do it by myself. Like I said, I'd probably be too afraid to go to South Africa if I didn't know you, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, I don't know if I would just go there on a tourist journey or whatever, um, although people do. But, um, you know, um, I don't know. It's, it, it's, 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 it's different. I, I guess this is not really related, but you talk about high trust. Um, and, of course, I'm white. You know, I'm not uh, Mayan like most of the the Mexicans are here or white Mexican, you know, there's different categories of cultural Mexicans, et cetera. Um, but, uh, here in Merida, um, it's very high trust. Like there really is, uh, you know, you don't really see crime, although it exists. Sure. But like, um, you know, there's food stands out and people just leave them out. They don't worry about them getting robbed. Now they might lock them down or whatever, but, um, it's totally different, uh, than how, things operate in the United States. Uh, and you know, I can walk around at night at like 1am walk to the store. I'm not worried about getting robbed at all. I'm not worried about, um, you know, getting shot or, or police harass me or anything like that. Um, it's just totally different, um, way of life here. Um, and I, I just feel like, um, you know, if things really hit the fan, though, you know, you bring up a good point. Uh, if shit really hit the fan, uh, it might be a little different uh, being a, being a white guy here, um, you know, alone. Uh, but uh, it it is more high trust here, really, uh, in this part of Mexico. Now there are some problems, areas, obviously, uh, in other parts of the country, but uh, it's totally different here. Now let me let me look here. Um, uh, just, I guess, to, uh, and I'll let you give a wrap up at the end too, although that was kind of a good wrap up there. Uh, and I like how you tied it in uh, to your organization, but, um, well, what M Malima's a fascinating character to me. And I always talk about him every time you come on. Um, and like you said, I believe he used to head the, the youth arm of the ANC, right. Or something like that. Um, and it just seems like, and I could be wrong. You know a lot more about South Africa than me, um, but I, I I just feel like um, just from the outsider's view, and I don't study it every day, and you know just seeing what I see. But he seems to me to be um, one of the most charismatic uh, um, leaders in South Africa, um, and it seems to me, and I could be wrong again. Uh, you know, I know he broke away from the ANC and he's got his own party. I want to say EFF. I forget the name of his party, but um, it, it seems to me that that he may eventually take power there uh, in South Africa. Um, do you think there's a, a chance of that? And and just what do you think about uh, Malima in general? Yeah, he he is terribly charismatic. He attracts very little support. He <clears throat> garnered. Uh, his party is called the Economic Freedom Fighters. Yeah, yeah, it's a overtly Marxist party. It is a clandestine ally of the African National Congress. It is the vanguard of the revolution that will precipitate our civil war. We shall have a civil war in South Africa. There's no two ways about it. 
Um, uh, but in times of such crisis, even if you attract a minuscule proportion of the support, you will prevail uh, as Americans rightly um, speak about the three percenters. That's true. That's just mathematics. And, and the United States of America uh, has many uh, examples to illustrate that mathematical point. Um, you only need 3% of any populace to be committed to, to be fully committed to anything to absolutely take over. That's right. Um, so he, yeah, the, the economic freedom fighters, his 8% will be the vanguard of our, of our coming civil war, but he will be backed by the African National Congress because it's a long-term Talmudic plan. Um, that's about all that I can tell you in response to your right. question. Okay. Um, now, just uh, in general, I'm going to keep it all night. I know I, I actually kept you a little, a little bit longer um, than I had originally planned because I didn't want to take up too much of your time, but you're just an excellent guest. You're just nailing so much stuff. Um, but just any, any thoughts here um, at the end um, you want to say about your organization or um, just in general or something you want to leave people with here um, at the end of your parents? Yes, this is uh, something that nobody knows. It has been kept extremely confidential up until the last minute for various reasons. In 2017, we did a six-month tour of the USA. We spoke to thousands of people. We did many, many, many interviews, <clears throat> many presentations and so on. And we could have stayed for another six months easily, but it was exhausting. I was, in the end, I was a basket case. And we subsequently visited the USA on a number of occasions through uh, late uh, 17, 18 and 19 before the travel restrictions of 20. So for the first time in three and a half years, going on four years, I shall fly to the USA in the next couple of weeks. Really? And we will be there for between six weeks and three months. And if any of your listeners, your viewers would like to host us, would like to introduce us to people, would like to hold a conversation, they are welcome to contact me. I can't promise that I can do justice to everybody because it's an enormous task. Sure. The USA is a very, very big country with a huge population and it's difficult to reach everybody. To go from Florida to Washington state is, uh, you know, uh, only Russians and Canadians comprehend that, that, that undertaking. Brazilians maybe. Um, <clears throat> but if anybody would like to inquire about hosting us on this fundraising tour. It's a fundraising tour. We are raising funds for our national emergency plan, the work that we do. Um, and we give talks that are quite uh, apparently, people have complimented us very much. We gave very many talks and we were invited back over and over and over and over again. Sometimes just to give one speech, you know, some dude would say, please come and talk to my, my little conference here in Tennessee. <clears throat> on, you know, one given night after dinner and we'll pay your ticket and we'll pay four nights hotel accommodation and this and that. 
so apparently the presentations and speeches that we gave were were i don't know appealing um and we aim to do the same again we aim to travel to talk to people to give presentations and to raise money but as i say to give something into in return to to give a stirring powerful message of truth to people who fully believe in our cause our cause being the cause of the mutual caucasian conservative christian perspective the thing that we share jointly the thing that comes out of the european tradition that is unique in the history of the world we want to talk about what is this crisis that the usa is is, is, is committing suicide what is this crisis with russia what is happening what are the perspectives why did the talmudists impose COVID upon us why did the talmudists impose the vaccination upon us why are we seeing these enormous death rates the likes of which the world has never seen and on top of that we end with a note of encouragement there is a message that we have to share about prevailing through this implosion of christendom this implosion of the west this implosion of the the the, the traditional heartland of christianity in north america and europe this heartland of the caucasian peoples that have contributed to the world the likes of which the world has never ever ever seen why are we being destroyed in a few short years and what can you do to win to prevail to succeed to be victorious in the end um, that we may re regain our rightful place there's a lot of terrific stuff that we have to tell that people have never heard but which they can easily verify they might say oh this guy is saying these crazy things we're going to win in the end it sounds like rubbish i can show you where to look it up not in the bible not from a doctrinaire perspective not at all from a very fleshly perspective you can look into the stuff what are the talmudists doing how do we get around it that's what we're going to talk about in the usa if anybody wants to hear that message they're welcome to send me a message by whatsapp or text message on country code plus two seven so you type in simon roche number plus two seven seven six four six seven seven double one two you can send me a whatsapp or a text message not telegram not gab not parlor and not truth social because i don't follow them <clears throat> or an email to simon at saitlanders.org simon at saitlanders.org and saitlanders is easy to spell it's s-u-i-d landers simon at suidlanders.org that's my email address i'd love to hear from you and um yeah we'll see you in a few weeks time and, and, and real quick uh you know i might i'm kind of being persecuted in the united states uh, at the moment uh so there's another reason why i'm about the country but uh, i may have to um I don't know if I could like sponsor a conference or something, but I, maybe I could meet up uh, and fly in if, and if you have an event there or something like that, because I, I would like to meet you. Uh, and, you know, uh, we'll see. I have to get some. 
I, I, to be honest, I can't actually leave Mexico right now because I lost my residency card. Uh, and apparently that's actually a big deal in Mexico. And so I had to go file a police report and all this stuff. But it's it's coming up for renewal anyway. Um, but my lawyer was like, uh, actually, now you can't leave <laughs> Now you can't leave Mexico until we get it renewed in a few weeks, because if you do, you'll have to go through the process all over again. Uh, and, and that involves going to the fucking Mexican consulate or, or embassy if you want to go there and, and the States and all this shit. Um, so uh, actually, I'm trapped in Mexico for uh, just a few more weeks. I'll be able to get that taken care of. But uh, I did see, before I let you go, there was a, a super chat, and it was from Kent over there. Uh, on Odyssey, and he says, uh, I apologize for falsely accusing you of being in the ANC, Simon. I bought into a stupid lie and didn't even bother to follow up on it, something I usually don't do. He said, I appreciate you hang hanging out by the bonfire and drinking a brew with my bro and I in Virginia years ago. He said, you're a good dude. Uh, and so, that Oh, was thank you very much. Those are nice words. Thank you very much, Kent. Um, and I hope... Um, in the spirit of those words that we may bump into each other uh, again sometime. Who knows? That's right. And I hope to bump into you as well. Uh, Simon Rosh from the Soid. I always say it wrong. Uh, say it again for me because I always, I don't know why. It's something in my brain. I want to pronounce it wrong. Soidland, Soidlanders. No, it, it's not you. It. Um, I just can't get it. I think it's like a, I think I've made. I've made many friends in the USA and spoken to thousands of people in person. And maybe one person has gotten it right. It's it's not you. It's a very Something in my brain because we, we've talked so many times and I've heard you say it and I've even like repeated it and got it right. But there's something in my brain. It's it's the sound. Yeah, it's, it just wants to say yeah, it's, it differently. It's not easy. Sightlanders. Sweatlanders. Soitlanders. Soitlanders. There. There you go. Soitlanders. 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 Simon Roche, uh, yeah. one of the greatest guests in Killstream history, and I, I think this may have been your finest appearance, actually, um, and particularly that part, uh, you know, explaining Bretton Woods and the petrodollar and all that. That was just top-tier brilliance. Uh, and to do something like that off the top of your head is uh, – amazing quite frankly uh and so just thank you uh very kindly for coming on and uh i appreciate it and hope to talk to you again soon it's my pleasure i thought that i was gonna put in a rotten performance because it's now late here yeah. we started you and i at eight o'clock this time uh, our time and i've been working since five o'clock this morning and i thought <sighs> i'm just so buggered this is going to be an atrocious okay. interview but it's turned out to be terrific. So thank you very much, Ethan, for the opportunity for Saitlanders to share our message with the world once again. We appreciate it. Thank you, sir, and I appreciate you. And you have a good one. Take care of yourself. Be safe there. Goodbye, and God bless you and your audience. Goodbye, and God bless.